This is an epic edition of the Super Hits Podcast, covering an epic nine-minute hit by Guns N' Roses. We're talking November Rain. Here we go. This week's Super Hits Podcast, going heavy metal. We're talking about November Rain by Guns N' Roses, and for this one... Uh, it's it's such a massive song and a massive music video that I needed to find two people to help out for this week. So I think taking the lead is going to be uh, Barry. Say hello, Barry. Hello, and it's great to be here to be on the, the the full suite of the Slip Podcast Empire. Yeah, you did Mezzanine Sleep over a week ago. We do a Degrassi podcast called Narbles and Broomheads together, and here we are yeah, again. On the, Super Hits, on the Super Hits podcast, so here we go. And Looking forward then, to it. And then, uh, because it's a Guns N' Roses conversation, I uh, could not have this or do it justice without the help of Lou, who is in Winnipeg, and uh, who I've known for decades now, and is a huge Guns N' Roses fan. So, hello, Lou. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored that you would have me on your podcast. Um, I've been a fan of Guns N' Roses since I was 13 years old, back in 1987, when Appetite for Destruction came out, and I they've been my favorite band ever since. So you're going to fill in a lot of blanks, I think, because I think Barry and I have a lot of blanks in our GNR knowledge. Okay, well, I can, I can fill in with whatever you need. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, November Rain. Uh, before we get into the kind of all the topics that we normally cover on this podcast, I need to ask first, Barry, why did you decide that you wanted to cover November Rain? It's a song that I always really liked, and growing up uh, with the Much Music video dance parties, this was the one that was the most requested song. So um, I would say Guns N' Roses is probably one of my favorite bands for sure. Um, I'm not a huge, huge music person, but uh, I, I do have most of the Guns N' Roses stuff, whether it be on vinyl, CD, tape, or whatever have you. So uh, I just thought it'd be a good song to discuss on this podcast. And Lou, in terms of your progression as a Guns N' Roses fan, where does November Rain fall? Is it is it good progress, bad progress? Like, what what did you think of this uh, this song and the albums that it came from? Well, you know, Use Your Illusion One and Two is definitely a departure from Lies, 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 and definitely a departure from Appetite for Destruction. So, I think for some of the people that maybe were more into the harder edge of it, it was a bit of a departure. I really enjoyed it. I quite like the variety of it for both those albums. I do like November Rain. It is not one of my favorite songs, and the video is definitely over the top, but I've come to appreciate it over the years. All right, Barry, let's uh, talk about November Rain in some more detail. Do you want to start us off with some background? Yep, so let's go with some background with uh, Guns N' Roses. They were formed in 1984 and comprised of members from two other groups, uh, Hollywood Rose and L.A. Guns. At the time, Izzy Stradlin of Hollywood Rose was living with guitarist Tracy Guns of the band L.A. Guns. Uh, the L.A. Guns were looking for a new singer, and Izzy said they, su they suggested uh, Axl Rose. So what will become a theme in terms of Axl Rose's behavior throughout his whole uh, musical career, he ended up getting into a disagreement with the manager of L.A. Guns, and he promptly got fired. And I think uh, Axl getting into uh, confrontations with people is, is a running theme for his whole thing. I, I feel that there are two themes, Axel getting into confrontations and Axel taking a long time for a project to go from like idea to fruition. Yes, for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, Axel and uh, Axel and Tracy decided to go and start their own band, and they decided that they're going to name it comprising of portions of both those bands that they came from, and they came up with Guns N' Roses. Uh, some some re- rejected names included Head of Amazon and the thankfully rejected AIDS. <laughs> this is true. Uh-huh. So, quite glad they didn't go with AIDS. I don't know how well they would have been if that was their if that was their uh, handle. Uh huh. So a lot of personnel shuffling at the beginning and really throughout the band's history. Um, uh, Axel and Tracy end up having a falling out, and Tracy Guns end up leaving the group. Uh, eventually, Slash and Steve Adler were added from Hollywood Rose, and Duff McKagan uh, replaced one of the LA Guns guys, and that was basically your your uh, original classic, shall I say, GNR lineup. So they end up taking residence in a house and rehearsal space in LA, and they dubbed it the Hell House. And I can only imagine what living in this place must have been like. These five ruffians. It was actually also the former house of uh, the director of. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of of the movie Ben Hur. It was like CC Bill Demean, or, or I'm trying to remember the name of that director. But it used to be his house, and yeah. they utterly destroyed it. Before they lived in that house, they were floating between different apartments and would often spend time in their practice area, which was a storage locker. And they lived in there and were essentially homeless without, you know, running water and bathroom facilities. And then when they finally got a record deal, they were offered this house to stay in and they destroyed it. Nice. Mm-hmm. Just like classic, classic rock and roll, right? Yeah, there. that's right. Uh, they were very active in the Hollywood club scene, playing famous venues such as the Troubadour and the Roxy. Uh, the band started picking up a following and eventually got interest from se- several record labels. Uh, they saw him with Giffen Records in 1986, and he turned down bigger offers from other labels. And the reason for that was Giffen uh, offered them pretty much full artistic freedom. I think so it was important to them at the time. I believe their uh, advance was $75,000. So that got them a place to stay instead of living in, in, in a storage locker, apparently. <laughs> Yes, and they spent most of it on clothes and new instruments and drugs. Yeah, drugs, I would say, is probably a big part of the uh, of the budget. Yes. Um, so while working on their debut album, uh, Giffen's sub- subsidiary, uh, Uzi Suicide, released a four-song LP uh, called Live Like a Suicide. Uh, it was limited to a 10,000-copy run, and it was meant to appease GNR fans while they withdrew from the Hollywood club scene until they started working on their debut album. So... Uh, Copies of this sell for between three to five hundred bucks on Discogs. And I actually thought that would have been a bit more. Lou, do you have a copy of this? No, I actually don't have a copy of this, and I would love to have a copy of it. So it's one of those things I kind of keep my eye out for, but you know, whether or not I'll ever come across one, we shall see. What about you, Al? I know you have such a, a vast vinyl collection. No, you have I, this one in your uh, I do not. Repertoire? No, I mean I, I do collect a lot of vinyl, but I am also incredibly cheap. So. $500 for for any kind of music media it's like that's eh, fine I'll leave it to the real fans yeah, yeah. exactly um, so on, on July 21st 1987 Guns N' Roses released their debut album Appetite for Destruction now this album was huge it was the biggest debut album of all time selling over 30 million copies and it's just iconic album cover to cover you know this is my favorite album ever uh, you know the, the, the cover with the five skulls on the cross I mean that's iconic there's people wearing t-shirts of that to this day and uh, it's just it's a fantastic album. Uh, it, it didn't start out as a big hit, though. Uh, it took about a year before it really took off. Uh, David Geffen, the head of Geffen Records, had to go to MTV and personally asked if they would play Welcome to the Jungle video. That was the first uh, single from the album. And uh, they played it at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. So you can only imagine the clientele that's watching MTV at that point. 
It's like, it's like a- this is in 1987, right? Yes. So this yeah. is like it's 1982 and Guns N' Roses are black artists on MTV, where <laughs> MTV just won't play them. So I'm glad. I'm glad that it eventually happened for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, I guess the people did see it. They really liked the video and they started requesting it to be played. Um, the second single, uh, Sweet Child of Mine, was a mega hit. And this was probably what launched them into superstardom. It actually reached number one in the Billboard charts. And the song was actually written about Axl Rose's girlfriend at the time, Aaron Everly, who was one of the daughters of one of the Everly brothers. Just to give you an idea how huge the band was or how huge they got after this, uh, in 1988, they were doing a tour with Aerosmith and they were the opening act. Uh, Rolling Stone came to do some shows and do a story on Aerosmith, but Guns N' Roses ended up on the cover. And the Aerosmith, the Aerosmith manager at the time basically said that uh, at the end of this, the opening act was bigger than the main draw. So that's uh, how big they got. I could see that. I mean, Aerosmith, I guess, is fine, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> like in the late 80s? They had the what the walk this way thing, and then they put out the love in an elevator album. Yeah, which you know, good well, for them. Per- but come on, permanent vacation. I think was probably their big hit around then, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think too. So- during that tour is when the music really started to take off. As you said, you know, when it first came out, it was kind of this underground sort of hit there was you know a lot of young people that knew about it but it definitely hadn't hit the mainstream yet but by the time they were done that tour there was a lot of attention on them and so people were coming out to see them rather than Aerosmith. Lou if yeah. you could if you could go back in time uh anywhere would one of the locations that you would pick be like the mid 80s on the sunset strip so you could see all these heavy metal shows Oh, of course. I love all these bands. Like I grew up on hair metal and classic metal. Love it to this day. Love all those bands. So to be there in the heyday of it would have been amazing. It's like the L.A. version of, uh, you know, being in Seattle in like 1989 and 1990. Yeah. 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 I I distinctly remember the reason why I love this album so much as a kid. The Swears. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. It's, it's the first mainstream song I remember when there's, when there's lots of four-letter words, and I couldn't believe it the first time I heard it. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, Guns N' Roses followed up Appetite with another album called GNR Lies. Now, is it called Lies, Lies, Lies? Because this is news to me if it is. You know what? I think I just call it that, but I, it is okay. it is Lies. But on the cover, there's the tabloid. It looks like a tabloid, and it says Lies, Lies, Lies. So I say that, but the actual title is Lies. So this album was basically the four songs from Live Like a Suicide. So if you don't want to spend the 300 bucks for that, you can just pick this one up. And there's four new acoustic tracks. Uh, another great album, in my opinion. Uh, uh, I, I really like the song One in a Million. There's some very questionable lyrics in it, but uh, it yes. is a good song. Mm-hmm. Minus those lyrics. Um, yes. The ba- when they released their box set uh, a couple of years ago, they actually do not have this song in there. I think that... There was a lot of controversy when it came out, and the other members of the band, beside Axel, were very uncomfortable with it. But he insisted on those lyrics, and it caused a lot of friction between him and the other band. They started getting a reputation of being the most dangerous band in the world. Uh, they would frequently go on later and advertise for shows. Band members would miss time because they got into a fight and couldn't play. Uh, they cut their shows off early for various reasons. People rioting, throwing things up, Axel losing his voice. Uh, Axel actually confronted some fans at one show because they were videotaping and he physically attacked them, insulted them, got arrested for it. And there was a lot of drug use at this time. And I think throughout the whole history of the band. I will say this. uh, When it comes to badass band behavior and the music that the band releases, 
at least there's consistency with Guns N' Roses. Like, yeah. it's badass music and it's badass behavior. Whereas, take another band like Oasis, where yeah. they're all badass <laughs> and then they're singing Champagne Supernova. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember when I saw Guns N' Roses, I believe they went on at one in the morning. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, was in right. Toronto. I, I saw it at the Air Canada Center, wherever they call it now. It was the Air Canada Center at the time. And I parked my car at Bay and Bloor and took the subway down, taking a, thinking I'd take the subway back and just drive back. I ended up having to take a cab because the subway stopped running by the time the show was over. <laughs> nice. Thanks, yeah, Guns N' Roses. So, uh, yeah, there was a person in front of me. I think it was a pregnant woman who said it was her favorite band. She left before it even went on because uh, she had to get home out of it. I think she took the GO train in. See, I've been to a few late ones. There was the one I went to back in 93 when they came to uh, the Winnipeg where the Jets used to play. Uh, I went to that and that started very late, waited several hours. And everyone at the time was worried, oh, there might be a riot because riots had occurred before. And then when I went to see Axel and Friends, the new variation of GNR, um, it was often starting at like 11, 12 at night. And yeah, the buses wouldn't be running anymore by the time the show was over. I remember that show in Winnipeg in 1993, which I, I did not go to, but all that was in the news was about there's going to be a riot, we have to be ready, you know, Guns N' Roses shows are bad news, and I do not believe that there was a riot. I believe everything went just no. fine. <laughs> yes. I believe one of the reasons why there was not a riot is because Winnipeg is not Montreal. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was quite the riot. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. So on September 17th, 91, they released their next two albums simultaneously, Use Your Illusion 1 or 2. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? I think it was kind of a dirty move. I think it could have been one killer album, but there's a lot of, a lot of filler in those two albums. They're, they're both great, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think they probably could have spaced it out a year or something at least. So between the two albums, there are two and a half hours of music. Like not only Not only is it two LPs, but if it was on vinyl, it would be two double LPs. Yeah. Right? It's not like you're like, okay, I've got you know, uh, 90 minutes of music, so I need two LPs. Like, it's, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty nuts in terms of the amount of content. And yes, all released in one day. Most so. of the music, too, was written during the Appetite for Destruction days. So a lot of this is sort of leftovers from that era. And when they were trying to record for this, I think that because of all the drama in the band and drug use and various other things going on, songwriting was actually quite difficult and there were songs that were made during that time but things like back off bitch if i could say that yes, on air you may and um november rain are actually quite old like november rain axel started writing it in 1983 he had parts of it and he really didn't know what to do with it at the time and so he kept working on it and it ballooned into a 25 minute song <laughs> at one <laughs> yeah. point yeah, I'd love to hear the 25 minute version. Uh huh. Yeah. It's just Slash <laughs> playing guitar solos for yeah. 15 minutes. Twelve guitar solos. Yeah. 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 But like, these albums were both very successful. They debuted one and two on the Billboard charts. Um, Walmart and Kmart actually uh, refused to carry them because of the questionable language. But GNR refused to censor it. And they had a warning label on the albums that said anyone who doesn't like their words can fuck off and buy something from the New Age section. <laughs> uh -huh. so, and eventually, eventually they, they got censored and they weren't allowed to put the labels on anymore. So prior to the release of the album, You Could Be Mine from Use Your Illusion 2 was released on June 21st. It was one of the theme songs to the movie Terminator 2, which was a huge movie at the time. And I'm sure it helped the hype train for these albums, which probably didn't need much hype anyway, because Guns N' Roses were huge at this point. 
They had a tum- tumultuous relationship with one another. Uh, all the classic members of the band eventually left except Axel for a variety of reasons, including drugs, issues with Rose himself, and everything else in between. Uh, they did release one more album prior to the classic lineup uh, completely breaking it up, and that was The Spaghetti Incident. And that's a reference to Steve Adler's drug habit, which ultimately got him kicked out of the band. And when they were elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Axel Rose refused to attend. He declined, basically said it was an awkward and complicated situation. I'm not really sure what the reasons were. They also released Chinese Democracy. Um, the production of this started in 1990, and it wasn't released till 2008. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was the most expensive album ever made. And I think at one point, Dr. Pepper came out and said that if this album actually does get released, everyone in America gets a free Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I don't know if they ever made if they ever made good on that or not, but. I never got I mine. I don't know either. I'm not, I, not, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not in the States, so I guess that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't know, but... Yep. Yeah. But the song here we're going to talk about here is November Rain. Uh, it was on the Use Your Illusion 1 album. It was released as a single in 1992. And like Luda said, uh, uh, Tracy Guns has said in interviews that Axel was working on this back in the 80s. He had the piano part, and he's, anytime he started piano, he'd start playing this, but uh, he wasn't sure how to end it. Um... Axel said that he got the song. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, and Tracy's like, oh, it's cool now. But like you said, he didn't want to finish it. The original version of the song was 25 minutes. and was edited down to the 8.57. A lot longer than the sweet four-minute spot that we hear. We normally talk about here in the Sunday Yeah, podcast. when we talk about singles, we're, yeah, we say four minutes seems to be the sweet spot. Not only is it you know eight minutes and 57 seconds, but I, I know that there are some shorter versions of the single that uh, were released, but... The single that I own on 7-inch is the full, almost nine-minute version. And uh, that's widely what's available if you uh, pick it up. Yeah, and if you pick up the Locked and Loaded version that was released, the Locked and Loaded albums that released uh, a few years ago, it was like a box set. They have the Sound City Music Sessions recorded in 1986. There are two versions of November Rain on there. There's a piano version and then there's also an acoustic guitar version. And both are lovely, but you can really see that it is supposed to be a piano song. Uh, it was listed as the longest ever top 10 hit and contains the longest guitar solo in a top 10 single. So, yes, a long, long song. Yep. Uh, Axel has stated that the band didn't originally want to record it. Uh, Slash and Duff felt they should stick to their rough rock that the band was known for. But Axel Rose eventually convinced them to do it. Uh, it features a full-string uh, uh, arrangement orchestrated by Rose himself. And Axl Rose also plays the piano, despite, at the time, Dizzy Reed being a member of the band who was a full-time pianist with the group. <laughs> so, uh, uh-huh. I guess he played tambourine for this one. I don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> uh, according, like I said, according to Discogs, there's 56 different versions out there. Uh, for most 7-inch releases, the B-side was Sweet Child of Mine. And it's pretty much considered one of the great power ballads of all time. I... Uh, oh, sorry. I, I own the... Which one do I own? The US 7-inch, released by Geffen Records, and yes, the LP version of Sweet Child of Mine, the B-side. So you get, uh, you know, two hits, uh, which is not always the case when you buy a 7-inch single. Yeah, normally the B-side's a throwaway song, but mm-hmm. not, not in this case. Well, that's all I have for the background. Uh, should we move on to the lyrics, or does anybody else have anything they want to add? Uh, I only thing I have to add is... Um, it appears on a number of compilations, none in Canada, where we all reside, but the notable one that I found was a promo CD for the MTV 1992 Video Music Awards. Uh, and it's like there are 10 tracks on this thing, 
Uh, I'll just go through a few of them so you can get a sense for just kind of the differences, like the in uh, in types of music here. So we got November Rain. We have Humping Around by Bobby Brown. <laughs> we have Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. So there's some of your new wave. We've got Let's Get Rocked by Def Leppard. Then we have uh, Even Better Than The Real Thing by U2. And then three other tracks. Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana, Alive by Pearl Jam, Give It Away by Red Hot Chili Peppers. So there's your kind of where rock music is headed uh, kind of portion yeah, of the well. of the CD. So there you go. Uh, I guess with that all being said, I mean, actually, Lou, is there any other background space that, that we should fill in here? No, I think there is some stuff you'll probably get into with the lyrics of the song, but it is part of that and the video, too. They're part of a trilogy with Don't Cry, November Rain, and Estranged. And there's a lot of supposition that all three of those songs are written about, lyrically anyway, about the relationship he had with Aaron Everly that was very tumultuous. All right, well, let's get into more details about the lyrics. So according to Axel himself, the song is about not wanting to be in a state of having to deal with unrequented love. Uh, he, he being the subject of the song, is still very much in love with a woman, but is no long, the woman is no longer in love with him. So you look at some of the lines, it's hard to hold a candle in the cold November rain. So the candle is the love this person feels, while the rain is the absence of love that can distinguish the flame. It's difficult to love someone who doesn't reciprocate the love, and the love will die and be extinguished. That's, that's the kind of uh, things that the, the lyrics are saying. Uh, a couple of, uh, I was looking up to uh, song, was it song? Facts or song meanings? Songmeanings.com. There's, yeah, I was looking at songmeanings.com, and there's a couple of uh, interesting uh, interpretations of the lyrics here. So uh, if we could take the t- one line there, if we take the time to, to lay it on the line, I could rest my head just knowing that you were mine. Basically talking about um, people, they should actually sit down and discuss their, their future relationship, make a final decision. Uh if you put him out of his misery, he feels that he would be able to choose to stay with him and end uh, the affair. So basically, you know, the guy says, you know, if we sit down and talk about it, we can work this out type of thing. Um, the guy's basically in pain and wants the woman to show him some signs that he still has some feelings towards and they can be together. Songmeanings.com, by the way, a uh, source of comedy gold. If you're looking oh, for it, is. read the it comment is. section. It's incredible the way that people interpret so many songs. You know, the epic conclusion of the song where the orchestra is going, the guitar, uh, you know, uh, Slashes on the on the, the piano playing the guitar and the piano's ramping up and the orchestra's going and all that kind of stuff. The lines are uh, basically saying that everybody needs somebody and let's not end this relationship. You don't need to be on your own. You can be together with me despite the fact that you don't love me anymore. And that's basically what the song is about. Is is about some guy wanting a girl doesn't want him back. So Lou, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Um, I do. It's based on a short story written by uh, Del James. Um, both the this well, the video, which I'm sure we'll get into, but the short story also, I think, influenced the lyrics to some extent. But you can kind of see why people infer that it's about Aaron Everly because they had this very tumultuous love affair and then broke up, um, and it was you know very dramatic. And and obviously he's wanting her back, but she doesn't want to come back. So a lot of people are surmised that that's why you know, that it's about her. And then how does it fit into this trilogy? Well, the videos were part of this trilogy that a lot of people think that are essentially about his relationship with Aaron, because Don't Cry, you know, is sort of this, you know, trying to comfort somebody and, you know, try to say everything will be okay. And then you have November Rain, where it's like, oh, she doesn't love me anymore. And, you know, by one or back. And then a strange is sort of coming to terms with the fact of this person isn't coming back to you. So it's sort of this sort of... um 
progression of a breakup, you could say, like sort of the denial and then the acceptance of it. Okay. I remember the Don't Cry music video, and I think it won an... Uh, this one didn't. We'll get into reception right away. Don't Cry, I believe, did win a video music award of some sort, and I was always surprised at that, but uh, uh, I always thought November Rain was kind of the more memorable one, but I guess Don't Cry was pretty classic too, so... Yeah, I think they're all classic. I actually prefer the Don't Cry video over the November Rain one personally, but I know the November Rain one is. It's held up as kind of, you know, this, well, it's such an over-the-top music video and very cinematic, and it was one of the most expensive music videos ever made. Um, so, you know, I can see why that one got most of the attention. Yeah. But one thing I always know is Axel, he usually has, like, my eye, and he always does that. He didn't know many of those uh, eye-eyes in, in this song, for whatever reason. Yes. <laughs> I guess this was too much of a power ballad to do the, uh, to add the extra three or four syllables at the end. You know what? Yeah. I wonder if that's where Rain Maida got that from. Because uh, I used to go, um, Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace in Canada with always I I I in his uh, in his songs. And so yeah. you never know. Anyways, do you want to talk about the reception? Let's talk about the reception. Yep. So the song uh, entered the uh, Billboard Hot 100 on June 27, 1992, and it peaked at number three, spending two weeks that position. Uh, it was on the charts for 20 weeks. And uh, do you want to hear the top 10 when it was at number three? I have the list in front of me, but please, please do it. Okay, so number one would have been End of the Road by Boys to Men. Number two is Baby, Baby, Baby by TLC. Uh, number three, of course, November Rain. Number four, Humping Around by Bobby Brown. <laughs> Great dude. Uh, number five, This Used to Be My Playground by Madonna. Um, Number five, Move This by Technotronic featuring Ya Kid K, which I never heard of. Uh, number seven, Stay by Shakespeare's Sister. Number eight, The Classic Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Uh, number nine, Giving Something He Can Feel by In Vogue. And uh, number 10, Just Another Day by John Cicada. It's like one of these songs does not belong, and it's the song yes. at number three. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Utter Notables, number 16, Achy Breaky Heart. So I don't know if this was during oh, its, its, its uh, rise or its fall, but uh, it was 16 at this point. I believe that during this time, Life is a Highway was also a uh, hot track on the list. Um, yeah, that was number 12. Mm -hmm. Jump Around by House of Pain, number 11. So <laughs> a real dichotomy of music here. Mm -hmm. um, also, yeah. I, I, I noted earlier that uh, November Rain is the longest uh, single in the top 10. It was dethroned in 2021 by Taylor Swift. Uh, with her right. re-recording of All Too Well. So, no longer at the top, Guns N' Roses. Sorry. Yep. Uh, it reached up to number nine in Germany, number two in Australia, and number seven, New Zealand. So, it was a hit all around the world. And, and like you said, uh, longest song, longest guitar solo in uh, chart history until Taylor Swift. Uh, our friends at Pitchfork uh, rated it number 140 of the top 200 tracks of the 90s. So, okay. there you go. Let's move on to covers. Couldn't find any covers from anyone I've heard of, but according to secondhandsongs.com, there's 26 artists that cover it. Uh, some of the notable ones, and I say notable based solely on the name, Steve N. Seagulls, they did the banjo version of it. Uh, <laughs> first to 11, Unwoman. Uh, the Harmonics did an acapella version, which would be interesting to hear. And Ghetto Blaster Limited. And that's like a jazzy version. That, uh, Like I said, there's links to Spotify to so some of these ones there on that. So... Um, not an overly covered song. 
Nicole Atkins and Scream oh, and Screaming Tree singer Mark Lanigan, if I, I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly, they did a duet of the song in 2018. They decided to cover it after having a lucid dream where he was singing on a tower, country duet style. She woke up and sang it into her phone the way she heard it, and then contacted uh, Mark about uh, doing a duet on it. So never heard that, didn't know that. Don't know if I want to hear it, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh-huh. I've never heard any of these, but I am very curious about the banjo version just for the comedic uh, aspect of it. Yeah, well, if you uh, if you go to that, that website, you can uh, the click to the YouTube videos right there. So WhoSampled.com, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was sampled. Uh, there's four songs I found it was sampled. Uh, Outro Arrogant by Jihad. 1991 by the, the Hood Internet. Show Me Your Pussy Massive by <laughs> Kurt Yes, Pusher. yes. It, uh-huh. I wrote It's Bad. I listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And November Rehab by DJs from Mars. So... I, this is one of those songs I think you got to have the original and that's it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you want to get into, I think, what everyone's been waiting for with this the one? The video. The music video, please. So this video, the song, this video is more popular than the song. This song is famous for the video, I think, more so than the song itself. Uh, you know, one of the most popular videos of all time. Uh, if you ever, Like I said, have you ever been to a much music dance party in Newfoundland in the 1990s? Oh, it is guaranteed you saw this one. <laughs> Um, I think, as Lou said, the most expensive videos ever made at the time, $1.5 million. And like you said, it's based on a short story called uh, Without You. Uh, Lou already went over that. Uh, video is very well done in terms of production and everything, but when you break it down, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, great video by Funny or Die you should watch. Has anyone ever seen this video that kind of talks about the strange logic of this music video? No. No, if you haven't, you really should check it out. So, um gonna go through it here so he starts out with axel in bed he's there he's taking pills there's a bottle of liquor in the nightstand and for whatever reason the room is completely blue mm-hmm. uh i guess it's because it's nighttime uh he goes to a concert hall uh full string orchestra there's a the maestro there axel playing the piano uh dizzy reed staring around wondering what he should do <laughs> uh you got the background singers they're all dressed up dressed up with the fancy dresses and the gloves that goes up to their elbows and all that kind of stuff uh, we go to a church. We see it's in the desert, and there's a statue of Jesus crying blood. Okay, so we go to a wedding. Uh, we see a woman walking down the aisle wearing a very revealing wedding dress. Now, like I said, you can wear what you want at your wedding and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing like that. But of all the weddings I've ever went to, I've never seen a wedding dress quite like this. I don't know if anyone else has. I don't think I have. This was Stephanie Seymour. That was Axel Rose's girlfriend yes. at the time. Is that correct? That yes, is correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we learn that the woman is marrying Axel. So Axel is wearing what I'm assuming is the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. <laughs> and he's got like a pirate or vampire, vampire coat over. And uh, we get a flashback of the band hanging out at the bar with Stephanie. And they're all sitting around smoking cigarettes, which I'm sure was a, a favorite pastime of Guns N' Roses. Cigarettes. Yes. yes. Smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> Amongst other things. Uh-huh. Uh, we get to the, the uh, part of the wedding where they're about to exchange rings. Slash is the best man, but he has misplaced him. But it turns out they're on, uh, I believe it's Izzy's pinky. Um, Slash is having a smoke during the ceremony, which is always good at your wedding. That uh, that scene with the wedding ring, uh, I mean, in it's jest, that- my friend Jamie suggested that I do that for the rings at his wedding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like- actually Duff McKagan that has the, has the oh, ring. Oh, it's Duff, sorry. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Where I, like, he's like, I want you to search your pockets and be frustrated and then just hold up your pinky with the, with the rings. <laughs> That would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So they exchange ring, and the priest says, you are married. You now may tongue bang. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
And they do yes. a kiss that's worthy of a porno, a porno movie. <laughs> Slash decides he's going to leave the ceremony now early. He walks out, shakes a few people's hands along the way. So he walks outside to this church to do this guitar solo. There isn't any trace of civilization for miles. You got all kinds of aerial shots. You see a thing flying around. There's nothing but sand. So you got to wonder, how did everybody make it to the ceremony? Did they walk? Did a bus drop them off? Is there some kind of portal in the church? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's even more confusing because... So he walks out of the church, and then he immediately walks outside of this little church in the desert. And right away you're like, well, that can't be the same church. Like, the inside of the church, unless it's like a Harry Potter church where you, like, go in the door and it's way more elaborate than what the room would present. Uh, so he's playing outside this church, and then later... Um, Axel and Stephanie are leaving the wedding, like with everyone showering them with uh, rice, and they're leaving another church. Like it's a, clearly another church in like a downtown. So, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of roads, all kinds of cars, and everything like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Slash is still at the front ripping out the guitar solo. So, there must be a, a portal or, a Harry, like you said, a Harry Potter thing or something. Mm -hmm. um, they go to the reception and cutting the cake, and the bride and groom have changed. So, Axel now has like a blue blazer, and the bride's wearing a black dress. So I don't know who changes out of their wedding dress in a wedding. Maybe it happens. I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever been to a wedding where the, where, the, where, the, where the bride has changed out of her wedding dress. We haven't been to Axel Rose's wedding. so Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's at an outdoor location. Everyone's dancing, drinking, having a good time. And it starts to rain. And people absolutely lose their shit. They have no idea what to do. They're running around with coats over their heads. They're knocking shit over. One guy jumps right through the cake, uh, which I don't know how would that be your natural reaction if you got wet would be to jump through a wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> that is my that. favorite part, the jumping yep. through the wedding cake. And that is actually the VJ, uh, Ricky Rochman from like MTV's Headbanger Ball. That's who jumps through the cake. Yeah, apparently him and Axel were friends. And uh, I think the uh, the video debuted at Headbangers Hall, so on, on TV show. So, so yep. when I was a kid watching this video, because um, this happens and then right away we're at the funeral, right? Yep. And I was like... Did the rain kill everybody? Like what? Like what happened here? Because as you said, the reaction to it's raining was just way over the top. Also, the fact that they were all taken by surprise by this rain. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no <laughs> like, one gauge. Did, did you read the forecast? Yeah, did you, uh... yeah, yeah. Just make any well, sense. The shorts in the short story, it's about uh, a couple and the, the woman's having some issues and, and they get married and things. And then at the end, she commits suicide. And so a lot of people have inferred that the video that she supposedly has committed suicide. But part of the reason that it doesn't make sense, apparently, is they had the video all sort of storyboarded out. But then Axel would come in and make last minute changes and, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And so you end up with kind of this, you know, mishmash of ideas that don't really make logical sense. <laughs> He's like Vince. Yes, in wrestling. <laughs> yes, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. For locations, the big church uh, is St. Brendan's Cathedral Catholic Church in Los Angeles. The small church is actually a prop. It was built for that shoot. It was built near a film ranch in New Mexico. And then we have the the reception is at the Villa del Sol, del Sol Oro, which is another place in Los Angeles. And then we have the Orpheum Theater as well. So most of it's shot in Los Angeles, but you do have that New Mexico shot where Slash mysteriously finds a portal um, and then is playing his <laughs> solo in the desert. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like in the story of the video, is it supposed to be the same church? Is it supposed to be a different church? I couldn't find anything. I, my assumption was he walks out of one church and he's out in the desert. So I don't know. I don't know either. Also, like 14-year-old me, when I'm kind of, or 13-year-old me, whatever age I was, trying to figure out this story. So when Slash, because, you know, Slash takes the rings from, from Duff and passes them to Axel, and then he bolts from the church and then does the solo. And I was thinking, like, was he in love with the bride? Like, is he sad? Like, what, what, what's happening here, too, with his story? He had to rip that guitar solo. Yeah, because he because he walks out while the ceremony is still taking place, right? Oh, yeah. 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 All right. yeah. So, yeah, we're at the funeral. Like I said, she's buried in her wedding dress, even though she wouldn't even wear it on a wedding day. Yeah. <laughs> The music's amping up for the funeral, and Axel's doing the thing where he runs the hands over the keys a bunch of time. The orchestra, is, everything's going crazy. It's a real dramatic part of the song. Uh, to go to the grave, it rains again. You see all the pallbearers. They look like extras from the Sopranos. <laughs> um, and we see Axel in bed in this blue room again. It looks like he's having a nightmare about the wedding. I, I guess the whole thing is it was a dream of him or him thinking back to his, the wedding and funeral. Uh, the bride, Stephanie Seymour, throws her bouquet. The color changes from white to red, and it lands on her coffin. And uh, the, the color goes from the from the roses, and there you go, November so, rain. So artistic. <laughs> this is right. <laughs> and it's a nine-minute uh, music video. Like, it's the whole length of the song, right? It is, yeah. It's almost like a, an episode of a TV show. Mm-hmm. And it was very well-received and very well-produced, I, I will say that. I mean, $1.5 million. I, that, that church was 10%, I think, in a budget, so they spent one hundred fifty grand building that church in the middle of nowhere for that one guitar solo scene. In the uh, uh, MTV Video Music Awards, it received a Video Vanguard Award as well as the award for Best Cinematography in 1992. Yep. At the end of the uh, ceremony, uh, Guns N' Roses played this song live with Elton John on the piano. Yep. And uh, this song won, won the Best cinemat- uh, Cinematography, uh, beat out two other songs previously covered in Super Pits podcast. In Vogue's My Loving, You're Never Going to Get It. And uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch is Good Vibrations. Amazing. We love our 1991 songs on this podcast, apparently. (laughs) Apparently so. Uh, It's the first and only, I believe, only video from the 1990s to have over a billion billion views on YouTube. It's currently sitting at around 1.8 billion. And actually, uh, Guns N' Roses' uh, Sweet Child of Mine is the most views for any song from the 80s. So I guess they're really, a lot of fans out there like their videos. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and and like Lou said, uh, "Don't Cry in the Strain" are considered an unofficial movie video trilogy, a music video yep. trilogy, I should say. That's it. I mean, that's that's the video, which is like I said, it, I highly suggest you go uh, look up "Funny or Die." November rain makes no sense, and then and they do a fantastic job of explaining why this video is great but odd at the same time. Before we rate this stuff, uh, Lou, any comments on the video? Yeah, you know, there's there's some like weird little facts about it. Like if you watch the video, you won't see the drummer Matt Sorum very much because at the time he was trying to get clean and get off drugs. And apparently there were so many drugs on the set of this uh, there. He would walk into the trailer and they would have just cocaine everywhere and he just couldn't be around it. So you only see him kind of when, you know, he's doing his drumming parts and you won't really see him in any other the sh- of the shots of the video because he was trying to stay away at the time and uh, was unsuccessful. He fell off the wagon, but uh, that's why you don't see him very much in the video. <laughs> Matt, who replaced Steve Adler, who was kicked out yes. of the band for doing too much drugs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Uh, shall we rate? Uh, we rate the music video and the song uh, on this yep. one. So um, I'm going to actually uh, take over here and ask everybody to rate first. So Barry, I'm going to hand it to you. What would you give the music video out of 10? I mean, like I said, it doesn't make a lot of sense and all that, but uh, I think when I first saw this video, I was blown away. I thought it was the greatest thing ever back in 1991. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. And Lou? I would give it a solid 8 out of 10 as well. I love the fact that it's over the top and it doesn't make any sense. And it is, to me, just the height of kind of that whole MTV video music, you know, the whole music video thing. I just think it's it's great. It's fun. 8 out of 10. Uh, we're all in agreement. I gave it an 8 out of 10. And I would say, uh, you know, next to videos by Michael Jackson, you know, Guns N' Roses managed to put themselves in that stratosphere of like, Let's do a music video that creates buzz that uh, people, you know, talk about and that people will never forget and uh, certainly won't forget this one. So I'm giving it an 8 out of 10 as well. Uh, Barry, how about the song? Well, I gave the song 9 out of 10. I think it's a great song. I love the uh, the orchestra part of it. I love the part at the end. I always said if I was ever a wrestler, uh, that part at the end when the, with the orchestra, uh-huh. the, that would have been my theme song if I ever became a uh, uh, well, I probably wouldn't. It probably wouldn't have been because it was, if I was an independent wrestler, because I'd never be able to afford it if I was a real wrestler. But uh, <laughs> you'd be a very uh, spooky, mysterious character if you were coming out to that music. Exactly. But no, no, I love the song. I, I, I think it's it's one of the great power ballads of all time, and, and it's really well done. Nine out of ten for me. Uh, Lou, I would give it an eight out of ten. I think it's a really good song. I'm actually, when it comes to that trilogy, I actually prefer "Strange," not the video, but the song more than November Rain. I think it's a beautiful song, a wonderful song, but I, I think there's some songs that are a bit better, so I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Uh, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Uh, I, I I like the song plenty. I mean, seven's a good grade. Uh, I, I think part of it is, judging it as a single, nine minutes is definitely long for, for a single like that, and so... Uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Definitely, though, like, very well produced. Love the orchestra. Love the guitar solos. And uh, though it's a nine-minute song, I, I'm certainly not bored listening to it. Like, everything kind of fits and makes sense. And I don't listen to it and go, you didn't need that three minutes, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a 7. And uh, with that, I think we're wrapped up here for November mm-hmm. Rain. Uh, as the GNR superfan, before we... Uh, close out Lou I'm going to hand it over to you in case there's anything else you want to say about the band or the song oh you know what I just I I think that this is a song that really made GNR accessible to people who maybe didn't listen to hard rock and heavy metal so it brought in people that you know weren't necessarily fans originally of the band so it brought them to a wider audience I think that the video stands the test of time I mean over a billion views the most viewed music video in the 90s. So it really brought them, I think, to a wider audience. It represents the height of their popularity. Uh, You know, I think it's just a classic video, and I'm really, you know, honored that you asked me to come here and talk about it. And Lou, do you want to... uh, 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 Plugs, plugs, there you go, plugs. Plugs, plugs. (laughs) You can find me on social media under my name, Lou Valcor. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on TikTok and YouTube and Facebook. And on my socials, I mostly talk about things like tarot, astrology, and witchcraft. But you can always see me talking about it, sitting in front of my GNR posters and my other rock and roll type of stuff. Um, So you can follow me there if you're interested in that kind of thing. Lou, also, I don't know if you currently do, but has played in metal bands in Winnipeg. 
Yes, I have. And I had to kind of stop doing that because of the pandemic and hope that one day I can start doing that again. But yes, I've played in various metal and punk bands around Winnipeg. And uh, Barry, your socials and your other podcast. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Barry R. Flynn. You can also listen to the Some Weird Podcast, uh, where we talk about things like folklore, witchcraft, and that type of thing. Um, at Some Weird Pod on Twitter, if you're interested. And of course, you can also hear me on Arbos and Boomheads with Alan as well. And uh, you're going to hear Barry again on a future episode in the very near future because we're going to cover some Bob Seger. Can't wait for that. In a very different direction. So uh, stick around for that. And uh, until next time, this is Super Hits Podcast. All our social medias are in the show notes. We will see you when we see you. Bye. Bye.